You're listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Join us as we learn from successful firefighters and fire service leaders on how to achieve excellence. When lives depend on us, success is our only option. Welcome, welcome everyone. So glad that you are back for another episode of the Firefighter Success Podcast. I'm your host for the show and the author of Firefighter Success, Jim Moss. Now, today's episode is sure to be a great one because we have one of the OGs of the fire service, a chief who puts in the work and does not make excuses. Dennis Riley is a 48-year fire service veteran currently serving as the fire chief in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Prior to his current position, he was the fire chief in Sunrise Beach, Missouri, an assistant chief in North Carolina and California, and he retired as a battalion chief in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. During his time in New Jersey, Dennis became one of the original members of the New Jersey Urban Search and Rescue Task Force One. As part of Task Force One, Chief Riley made several deployments, including New York City, as part of the response to the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Chief Riley holds a master's degree in public administration from Penn State University and is a CFO. An accomplished author and lecturer, Chief Riley is active in numerous professional development activities within the fire service. And outside of the fire service uh, career, Dennis is a U.S. Army veteran, having served in Iraq during Operation Desert Storm. From 2007 to 2010, he worked as an independent contractor, providing protective services to several different government clients in Iraq and Afghanistan. Chief Riley has been married to his wife, Anne, for over 35 years, and they have two adult children and three grandchildren. Chief Dennis Riley, so excited that we are connecting finally, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time now. Thank you so much, Jim. I mean, it's an honor. And, you know, when I got the email inviting me, it was truly a humbling experience to be part of your project which I think is doing some really fantastic work for the fire service. So thanks a lot for having me on. And I guess I have to live up to all the hype now. <laughs> exactly. You better. No, no, just be yourself and uh, tell it like it is, like you normally do. That's what I love about you. All right. So let's get rolling with my favorite first question. How do you define success and how can every firefighter go about achieving it? Well, I think that success is, you know, a personal issue. And I think that different people define success in different ways. Uh, for me, uh, success really means having a feeling of accomplishment. Am I, you know, am I productive? Am I being an asset to my organization? Am I being a good representative for the fire service? Another important part is, am I happy? Do I enjoy what I do? Do I get fulfillment? And I think happy people are able to produce more. So happiness is a, is a big part of it. But then again, you know, what do you want to get out of the fire service? What's your ambition? Where do you want to be? You know, what talents do you have to bring to the table? How can you be an asset to your organization? How can, you, how can you be an asset to your community? And once you answer those questions for you, because you know Dennis Riley's fit is not a universal fit. What works for me 
is not guaranteed to work for anybody else. I think if you answer those questions that I just posed, then you would ha then you have a roadmap that will take you to success. And the other thing, you know, with success is you got to be willing to do the work. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just that simple. I mean, I, I mean, hope is not a strategy. If you if you think, well, if I just stick around long enough, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to get you anywhere. The world is going to pass you by. Your contemporaries are going to pass you by. Your organization is going to pass you by. So to be successful, you've got to be willing to do the work. I agree with you that we have to be an asset to our organization. And, and what you first said, that success is, is really relative in its definition. We all have different goals. We all have different aspirations for the fire service. But And I'll agree with the last thing you said. We can't just be stagnant. We can't just be happy with being average or mediocre. We have to have that growth mindset. And the only way that we're going to do that is exactly what you said. Do the work. I love that at every level, whether we're a firefighter, uh, a driver, an officer, chief level officer, we got to do the work and we got to make sure that we can't just uh, rest on our time on the job. We have to be uh, working towards that growth mindset and, and personal improvement every single day. So for me, it goes without saying that you've been a constant source of inspiration over the past several years since I've gotten to know you. You know, one of my favorite quotes of yours is, if you aren't willing to do the work, don't claim the title. Now, would you mind unwrapping this statement a little bit more for our audience? Yeah, sure, absolutely. It, it, it's, one of, it's one of my core beliefs. Uh, you know, we, we work in an environment, and I'm sure this is gonna come up several times in our conversation, but we work in an environment where we have to make critical decisions in a compressed time frame with incomplete data. Mm -hmm. So if we think that we can be successful in that environment without doing all the preload, without doing all the work ahead of time, without getting ourselves ready to be immersed in that pressure cooker situation, I think we're kidding ourselves. You got to do the work. If you want to be a firefighter, and I, I see this, you know, not necessarily where I am now, but I've seen this all over the country. You know, everybody wants to jump up and say, oh, I'm a firefighter. I'm this. Everybody wants to, you know, the discount at, you know, Golden Corral. Everybody wants all these things. Well, that's fine, but you got to do the work. You, you know, it's, it's not that you belong to, in my opinion, strictly in my opinion, it's not that you belong to a fire department. It's not that you have a uniform, you have a license plate, or you have any of that stuff. It's you can get dumped in Mrs. Smith's front yard at three o'clock in the morning. Your next two companies are already committed to CPR jobs or whatever. You show up with three people and Mrs. Smith is screaming in the front yard that, that her overweight invalid husband is trapped in a survivable space. That's what the fire department's here for. That's what the community expects. And that's what we need to be able to provide for them. So how do you do that if you're not putting in the work ahead of time? How do you claim to be a firefighter if you're not training, if you're not doing PT, if you don't have a list of remedial skills that you constantly go back and work on, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud here in Pittsburgh is 
we have a hose bed simulator in every one of our firehouses. And there's not a week that goes by that I don't drop into a firehouse and I see people pulling hose. Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about it, if you're riding an engine, what should be the one, what should be one of the things that you can do flawlessly with your eyes closed, not thinking about it, what, you know, not thinking about just, just be able to execute and it's pulling hose. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, that's why we have engines in fire department to deploy hand lines. So we make a big deal in our organization about mastery of that particular skill. As the fire chief, it's my responsibility to set expectations and to resource everybody. So everybody knows how I feel about engine company proficiencies. There's a hose bed simulator in every one of our firehouses. And I hold people accountable. I mean, I go to fires. I watch people deploy hand lines. I go when we do quarterly probationary skills testing and I watch what they do and I critique what they do. So that's all in my opinion, in my mind, that's all putting in the work to be able to claim the title of firefighter. And and I'm not going to say that we're better than anybody else, but I will say that if you send a Pittsburgh engine company to a working fire, that engine company is going to be able to efficiently deploy a hand line because we do the work. And that's why we're here. That's what the community expects. And that's what we deliver. Mm, I love that confidence. And I agree with you 100%. You know, I, I've shared before that t-shirts, titles, and and tattoos don't make you a firefighter. Your training does. And, and that goes back to exactly what you're saying. Front loading, preparing, being proactive about how we need to actually perform on the fire ground or other emergency scenes as well. So you, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. But uh, let, let's uh, talk about the topic of motivation and, uh, you know, whether it's our fitness, whether it is our training on the basics, like you just talked about. Uh, we all know that laziness and apathy are, are symptoms of the unmotivated firefighter. Now, do you think motivation is something that the leader or officer provides or is motivation entirely left up to the individual? I don't think there's an either or. I think there is kind of a mix. But I would say, in my opinion, the officer is more about accountability. Because, you know, I think for the most part, motivation comes from within. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to decide for yourself what firefighter you want to be. Now, certainly supervisors, officers, chiefs, et cetera, need to have that accountability based on the expectations that they set. You know, I'm up at the 30,000 foot view right now because I'm a fire chief, you know, and as I often say that, you know, the smart guys didn't show up on test day. So I got made and that's, you know, sometimes the way I I look at it, but I need to look at that 30,000 foot view. What I'm trying to do in my organization currently in the organizations I've worked in before is build that culture that attracts the motivated people. Mm -hmm. So once we do that, we have motivated people in our recruit school. So now 
all we have to do for the most part, you know, and certainly there's always a hiccup here and there. Uh, I always say that no matter what screening process you use, nothing is perfect, but we have the pool of motivated people. So now we set expectations, we model those behaviors for everybody so they know exactly, you know, what good behavior looks like. And then we hold everybody accountable, myself included. Uh, if, if I want people to be physically fit, then I need to be physically fit. And I need to commit some time and effort on a regular basis where people see me engaged in activities to be physically fit. And I'm not doing it to show off, hey, look at me, you know, I can do this, I can do that. You know, I, I, I try to be quiet about it. You know, I just, I train in the firehouse, but I don't call a lot of attention. But over the course of time, the entire department knows that I do PT on a regular basis because mm -hmm. they see me doing it. So I set my expectation. We build a culture that brings the motivated people to us. Once we get them, it's our responsibility and leadership to make sure we have that environment that keeps them motivated. So we set expectations. And some of our expectations are demanding. Some of our expectations leads you to have to do the work to meet the expectations. We model those behaviors for everybody to see this is what good behavior looks like. And then we hold people accountable. And I think when you do all those things and you weave them together like a tapestry, you get that environment where you're going to have motivated people in your ranks. And it's much easier to keep people on that quest for excellence. Mm. I love this topic of, of building that good organizational culture. And, and that's really a good segue into my next question is, is, you know, we're, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about motivation, you know, which is more important. Um, but when it comes to culture, if we're going to build that rock solid organizational culture, like you just referenced, where do we begin? In all honesty, one of the things that I've made a point to do is make friends with chief scott thompson down in the colony in texas mm. and in my opinion if you want to talk about some you know some people that get it they get it so and and and, and chief thompson is an example i i think if you want to build culture learn from the successful people get people in your circle like jim moss well, thank you, sir. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, you know, he, you know, you are the man who wrote the book about success. So if you want to be successful, which is a byproduct of a healthy organizational culture, get start moving in that circle of successful people start moving in that circle of people who have done a lot of work on building culture, figuring out how to do it. You know, one of the things that's really, really amazing to me, uh, I, I've been fortunate to be around a long time and I got a lot of people, you know, I, th there's a lot of numbers in my cell phone that I can call up and, you know, they see caller ID, they'll take my phone call. And these are some people who have got a great reputation in the fire service. And I'm not trying to name drop or say that I'm great or whatever. I'm saying that I went out 
to conferences where these people were. Mm -hmm. And I made a point to go up and introduce myself. Hey, I'm Dennis Riley. I'm from small town USA. And I'm just really, I, I got a couple questions for you. Can you tell me how you did this, that, or the other thing? And every one of these people I have found to be gracious. I found to be humble. And I found to be more than willing to share their time and share their techniques and share their lessons, the good and the bad with me. And, and, and I, I can't take credit for what we're doing here. I can only say that I listened. I put people in my network that could help guide me. And everything that we do here in Pittsburgh is a byproduct of all that. It's, it, it's not because I got Dennis Riley as the fire chief. It, it's not that. It's a byproduct of all these other things that I'm trying to bring to the table. And I would say to anybody who's listening, it doesn't matter if you're a 48-year veteran or if you've been in the service for 12 months get out there and start meeting people, mm -hmm. introduce yourself, bring people into your network. And you will find that those people will also bring you into their network. And, and everything that we've talked about so far is all a byproduct of that one thing. Mm, and I agree with that, that if you hang out with five rock stars, you're going to become the sixth rock star. If you hang out with five slugs, you're going to become the sixth slug, right? So we need to be surrounding ourselves with the right people that are going to inspire us, motivate us, like you said before, uh, that are going to put that passion in the right mindset within us to, to move forward with building that positive culture uh, within our own organizations. Now, you've led at every single level in the fire service, and I'm sure you have learned countless leadership lessons along the way. So uh, here's an interesting question for you. What type of leader would you like your child to work for? Well, uh, I, I think if we go back to what I you know, said previously about setting expectations, modeling behaviors, and holding people accountable, I, I, I think if you do that at the leadership level, man, you're, you're, you're going down the right path. You know, so I would want somebody supervising my child that would set clear expectations that would hold them accountable and would spend the time to get them to that point where they could meet the expectations. I, you know, part of leadership to me is, you know, caring about the people in, you know, in your command. And, and, I, and I use that term all the time. And part of it is from my experience in the military. I'm very used to that command structure. But the other reason why I say that is when I say people are in my command, it makes me stop and realize that I am accountable for everything that they do and everything that happens to them while they're at work. So I want leaders, I, I want the leader who's leading my child to understand what that responsibility is, to be comfortable accepting that responsibility. And nobody's perfect, excuse me. No one's gonna have all the answers to the test. No one's going to hit a home run every time they come up to the plate. 
but the leaders that you can trust are the ones that understand, you know, what I just talked about. They understand the enormity of their task. They're willing to devote the time and energy to set the expectations, to model the behaviors, to bring everybody up to that level of expectation. And they have the courage to step up and say, hey, you're not meeting this. Hey, you need some more work here. But one of the things that I talk about in five trumpet firefighting is the chief has the ability to separate the wheat from the chaff. And at some point that occasionally needs to be done. And I want my child to work for a supervisor that has the courage to be able to do that based on the expectations and the time and effort that's been invested in those people. And I would hope, and I'm pretty sure that my child growing up in my household would be able to understand that and they would be willing to put in the work to meet those expectations. Yeah, I agree. So I love that you said clear expectations, lead by example and model the right behaviors, accountability. And that's a two-way street, both giving accountability, right? And also holding yourself accountable to the level that you want others to perform to and you want yourself to perform to. And then also those relationships as a leader, really caring. And I I love that you mentioned the home home front aspect of of leadership, right? Because as parents, for all of those uh, listening who have children, I love the parallels between being a fire officer or a leader in your organization and also being a parent and a leader in your own home. Hopefully we're, we're doing both the right way with those things that you just mentioned, those expectations, leading by example, modeling the right behavior, uh, accountability for our sons or daughters, um, and then caring and building those relationships. Um, so I, I've always loved those, those parallels between leadership, whether it's formally uh, within the fire service or informally in our own homes as well. So great points given. Uh, so as we mentioned in your bio, you have been in the fire service for nearly five decades. I mean, that is just unbelievable to me. Uh, so how would you define the grind as it relates to a fire service career? And how do you actually endure it for so long? So I, I think the grind in, in any career is just what happens over the course of time. So, you, know, you know, I joke about this, you know, I've got some scar tissue on my back from being stabbed in the back. Yeah, I'm not going to lie about that. I mean, it, it I mean, it's there, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've been treated really well. And I've been treated horribly. So that's all part of the grind, understanding that that's going to happen. So I think, it, you know, to be able to survive the grind, first, you got to admit that it's going to happen. You know, and the other thing is, look, you know, when I was on shift work, I mean, I got tired of having to work on nice weekends in the summer. I got tired of having to get out of bed at three o'clock in the morning when it was 10 degrees out and the wind's blown 20 miles an hour to go to a dumpster fire. At, you know, at some point in time, we've got to accept the fact that it's work. Uh, at some point in time, we've got to accept the fact that not everything is going to be those great rewarding moments. But for me, those moments are so special. Those moments are so rewarding. Those moments are so significant. 
I just tell myself, look, man, you, you got to put up with the other stuff to have those moments. And if those moments are so great for you, if those moments are when you realize that you're part of something special, when you realize that you're contributing to the greater good, man, you just got to live with it. I mean, it, that's kind of it. It's it's simple for me. And, and I guess maybe I'm just a simple man. I guess maybe I just look at things a simple way. But, you know, the grind is all worth it. You know, to be part, to be able to call myself a firefighter. And, and I and I agree with other chiefs I heard say this. I don't really want people to introduce me as the fire chief. I just want people to introduce me as a firefighter because it's the greatest job in the world. It's an honorable profession. It's something that we get to do every day to make the world a better place. You know, we, we, we there are just so many rewards that come from this occupation. It allows me to survive the grind. Uh, so I, I think that's part of the answer. You know, the other part of the answer, and as I got older, I would say that I got a little wiser where I realized they give you vacation for a reason. <laughs> right. Go take your vacation. I mean, you know, we went to, you know, I still talk about it now. We went to Maui a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, we, we go in February. Uh, my birthday is in February and we like to take a warm weather vacation. So we went to Maui and I still talk about that. You know, that was a couple of years ago. I got some great memories. I had a fantastic time on Maui with my wife, you know, that I love dearly. We've been married forever and ever and ever. And, and sometimes I think that she's got to be blind and deaf because that's the only way she'll put up with a guy like me. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, I have those parts in my life too. I, you know, I, 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 I know Royal Mortensen, who is a retired Colonel from the Marine Corps. And he was the director of the Illinois uh, fire service Institute for several years. And Royal would always say that when I went to a Marine's house, and he has coffee table made out of ammo cans. I looked at the Marine and said, you don't have a life. You need to get a life. <laughs> right. So that's, you know, so that's a way, you know, that's another way I survived the grind. I mean, we went to Glacier National Park a couple of years ago, and we still talk about that vacation. I, I've got, I, I am the typical fire chief. I, I got a five iron in the back seat of my car. So some days at lunch, I take my uniform shirt off and I go to the driving range. I hit a bucket of balls. So I've been able to survive the grind and the grind is real for so long because I've gotten to the point where I kind of diversify myself a little bit so I can go and recharge my batteries. And, and, and some days, you know, I, I have a lousy day at work. You know, I, I'm not all smiles. I can be a grumpy guy. I can be difficult to get along with. I come to work and a few things don't line up the way I want them. And, you know, before you know it, I'm, you know, I'm chewing nails and spitting rust. Well, I just jump in my car. I go to the driving range. I hit a bucket of balls. And then I realize that I really am part of something much bigger than myself, that, mm. I, that the community has given me the privilege of being a firefighter and the community has put their trust in me to make decisions that can impact their life. So that's how I survived the grind. Do I put up with the, with the crappy days? Absolutely. Because I have all those other things that I just talked about. 
Yeah, I really agree with that. And we are going to have hills, we're going to have valleys, we are going to have rainbows, and we are going to have storms within the fire service, uh, especially if we're in it for 48 years, right? We have to maintain that long-term perspective. We have to find a balance between, uh, you know, family time and also uh, firefighting stuff in the fire service. And, uh, you know, I, I go by five basic uh, Fs, if you will, for for my uh, outlook on priorities. And for me personally, that's, you know, faith, my faith is the most important thing and family, friends, fitness, and firefighting. And that's not necessarily the overall order, but, you know, those are things that are all important to me. And if I'm only going to identify myself or find my identity or success in being a good fire firefighter or fire officer, then I am really missing the target uh, because I really need to focus on making sure I'm a good husband, a good father for my kids, a good friend to my other friends. And, and, you know, like I said, I'm a man of faith. So uh, I agree with you that uh, there's, there's going to be some rough times, but we need to step back and have that right uh, perspective. And especially that long-term perspective of what is actually important here. And am, am I just sulking because something didn't go right or a couple of things didn't go right. And also changing my attitude, my mindset, how can I make this better? And uh, I love the the fact that you go hit some golf balls and, and yeah. you, you know, it's a chance for you to cool off and reset your mind, reset your body. Uh, and you can go back and be more productive and, and, and change around and have a positive attitude for the rest of the day or week. So that's great. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And maybe for someone else, that might be what working out. It might be, you know, listening to a podcast or going for sure. a walk or whatever, uh, but find whatever you enjoy and, uh, to reset yourself and hopefully refocus you on, on what's important moving forward. You know, I, I would add a six F to that and that's fun. Yeah. Go out and, you know, go, go find stuff. And, and you know, sometimes I, I read a lot. I listen to, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff. Sometimes I think, man, that, that's some corny stuff that they're talking about, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Smile. Right. It, you know, if you look yourself in the mirror, and you smile, it is hard to be anything but happy. Right. It is. I, I mean, it, it's absolutely true. And happy people are the most productive. And happy people tend not to be one-dimensional. Happy people have this true balance like you discussed. They have their faith. They have their family. They have their friends. They have all this stuff. And and it just works. That's what's going to carry you through the grind, in my opinion. Exactly. I agree. So another one of your quotes that I wanted to talk about uh, that has impacted me greatly is all about fitness. You say, I don't work out. I train for what my community expects me to do. So obviously training is a topic that is a huge passion of yours and mine as well. You know, so much so that you teach a class called Battle Ready Training. So talk about this class, what it offers, and also generally the importance of training in the fire service. Sure. So let me start, you know, at 30,000 and then calm down a little bit. So every place I've ever worked, I've put my hand on the Bible and I have made an oath that I will do my job to the best of my ability. Okay. And I take that, you know, without any reservations or without any purpose of evasion. That's all part of the oath that we make our people take. So if I'm going to make that promise, then 
I've got to put myself in the position that I can do my job. And part of that means I have to be physically fit. And it's just that simple. If I make a promise, honor is a very important element in my life. So if I say I'm going to do something, then I'm going to do it. So if I say I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability, and it's a physically demanding job, then I've got to train. And it's just that simple. I mean, I'm I'm not going in the gym, you know, because I want to look good during, you know, swimsuit season. And certainly that's, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, we all do, but unfortunately I like French fries and cookies too much. And you know, <laughs> I, I just kind of live with that, but there's an expectation in my community that I am going to be able to perform and it's important to me. So that's why I say, I don't work out. I train for what the community expects me to do. My battle ready training you know, class is more about the quality that we're, we're giving the people in our training program. So, you know, I see training programs all over the place. You know, we just, you know, take the NFPA standards. Okay. This is what we train to. Well, that's great. And that's the baseline, Mm -hmm. but let's go back to that situation. I described 20 minutes ago. You know, your second due companies are on a CPR job. They can't break off. Fair dues somewhere else on the other side of the city. There's a traffic issue, whatever. And you pull up in front of Mrs. Smith's house and it's 25% involved, but her invalid husband is trapped in a survivable space. Is your training program is what you are doing on a regular basis is what your department is investing resources in, in terms of time, equipment, and money, preparing you to operate in that environment? Is is your training program truly preparing you to be able to dominate that particular situation? Mm-hmm. No, that's what battle ready training is all about. And I, and I give this example and and, you know, certainly, you know, I am the grumpy old man, you know, I've lived <laughs> long enough, I can claim that title, but not trying to be the grumpy old man, but we hire people in, in the fire service who are 21, 22, 23 years old, they're still living at home, they've gone to junior college, they're working in Walmart, they're doing, they're doing whatever, they're good people, you know, they have a lot of potential, but we bring them into the fire service, we send them through, the, through recruit school, and some recruit schools are excellent and some recruit schools are nothing more than a cattle shoot. You come out on the other end and then they're sitting on a fire, you know, they're riding on a fire engine. Well, three shifts into their career, we just put them in situation that I, that I described. Mm-hmm. And the question that I pose in battle ready training is, is your training program talking about that? Is your training program truly preparing your younger people to be able to dominate that situation. Now, certainly experience means a lot, not going to deny that. And certainly the more good experience you get, the better off you are, but we don't get the opportunity to schedule emergencies and look at the staffing roster and decide who we want, Mm -hmm. excuse me, to be on the first due engine. We've got to prepare all of our people. And that's what I talk about in battle ready training. And unfortunately, sometimes in the fire service, training 
is the graveyard. You know, you, you want to punish somebody, take them off the of shift work and stick them in training. Uh, <laughs> we we got to cut budgets. Oh my God. You know what, well, what do we got to do? We got to cut budgets, cut training. That's the first thing that gets cut. Mm. Uh, 99% of the time, first thing that gets cut is training, but we still have to meet Mrs. Smith's expectation. So right. What are we doing about really peeling this onion back? And, and part of this is not just the fire chief's responsibility. Part of this is everybody sitting in the kitchen table and talking about this very topic. You know, everybody, you know, saying, okay, Smith is the newest person here, but Smith's going to be the nozzle person. What can we do to make Smith successful in that position? And if the fire department, if administration isn't putting the resources into training, then how can we bridge that gap? Hey, you know, I, I do believe that administration's got the responsibility to provide the resources. My, my commander's intent hanging at every door in our firehouses said that one of my responsibilities is to resource the force. Mm. I got to make sure you have what you need to get your job done. But if that's not happening... And we've got 12 people assigned to a firehouse, four on each one of the three platoons. Can we all kick in 20 bucks and go build a host bed simulator so sure. that we can make sure that the people in the nozzle seat can efficiently deploy a hose line? And that's what I, you know, and that's what I say in battle ready training. And I talk about that on all different things. I, I'll give you one example real quick out of class. And I think it's a great example because I thought of it. And of course, I, think that everything that I do is great. <laughs> Everybody laughed. That's a joke. But think about it. You know, how, you know, how I asked the people, how many people use baby dolls to teach people how to search for babies? And all the hands go up. Oh, okay. Everybody, you know, everybody does that. So I want you to take a baby doll and hold it by the leg. Okay. First off, I want to know how much it weighs. It's going to weigh about three, four, five pounds, maybe at the mm -hmm. most. And when you hold it by the leg, it stands straight up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Right. Take, take a six-month-old baby, hold it by the leg. First off, six-month baby, six-month-old baby is going to weigh 12, 14, 16 pounds. And if you grab it by the leg and try to hold it up in the air, it flops all over the place. And please do not try that at home. <laughs> do not try that at home. I, I, my wife was sitting in the, in the audience one time when I was giving this talk and I looked at her when I gave the example, I mean, all the color drained out of her face. Don't try this at home, but think about that. We're using baby dolls. What we're actually doing is we're training people to search for dolls. We're not training them to search for babies because Another layer of this is who's in the nozzle seat, the younger people. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't married. Some of them don't have children. Some of them don't know what a, a real baby feels like or how a real baby reacts when you pick it up. Mm -hmm. But we're teaching them to go search for dolls. We're not teaching them to search for babies. So right. what we try to do here. And we're getting ready to, to roll this one out. We go out and buy baby dolls. We're going to cut the back open, take the stuffing out, fill it with a bunch of rocks, and then sew the, sew the dolls back up so that they're real pliable. They move around. They flop around just like a real baby would. And there's some weight to them because 
like I say, a doll weighs two or three pounds, right? Mm, That's not what a baby weighs. That's not what an eight month old baby weighs. So battle ready training is really doing training that puts people in the position to be successful at the fire, not to fill out forms, not to check boxes, not to say, well, we met the NFBA, you know, whatever standard. Well, that's great. You know, and I'm not saying that we should just throw the NFBA standards out. What I'm saying is our training program has got to prepare our people to be successful on the fire ground. You know, I read another, I, I, I read a quote from Scott Thompson two or three days ago where he talks about, you know, we, we have his saying risk a lot to save a lot. Right? He says, maybe what we need to think about is prepare a lot mm. to save a lot. And I, like I, that. I, and that's what I try to do with battle ready training. You know, I promote the three R's of training, uh, you know, making sure that is relevant to what we actually do, making sure it is realistic and making sure that we have repetition surrounding our training. And you just brought up what could serve as in our trainings with the dolls, a lack of realism and how you corrected that problem. And there are plenty of other shortfalls that that can, trainers can address if they see it. And and in your opinion, what are some of those shortfalls that we should be mindful to avoid as trainers? Well, I, I think using the free R's, just like you talked about relevant, realistic, you know, that's, that's really, really important. You know, I think when, when the drill is over, can you honestly say that the time and effort you spent in this drill session is helping your firefighters to be prepared for that scenario that I've talked about four times already. You know, they're by themselves for five minutes at a working fire. They have the hose and nozzle package and water capable to deliver the appropriate stream and they got a victim trapped in a survivable space. Mm. I think if we just if we just concentrate on that, that solves a lot of what I see as the shortcomings that we've described in training. And the other thing that I think is important is make sure you're not building training scars. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in one organization where I, where I used to work. Uh, you know, they were doing evolutions. So the training officer say, hey, you know, come on out and take a look at us. Okay. So I drive on out there and an acting company officer deploys a hose line without his gloves on. It's like, Hey, chief, what are you doing here? Well, you know, <laughs> it's just training. So while well, you're training, you're, you're two things. Number one, you're training that person to make bad decisions on the fire ground because and the crisis situation are going to revert back to their training and their most comfortable behaviors. And it was doing things without their gloves on. And the second thing is that particular person has got the influence in the firehouse because they're the senior person. They're the people that the new people are looking up to. And new people look up at that person and say, hey, they don't have to put their gloves on. These gloves are bulky. These gloves make it difficult for me to do these things. I'll just leave my gloves off and I'll put them on when I get to the threshold and you know, what's going to happen. You're going to get to the threshold. You're going to forget about it and you're going to burn your hand. 
and then right. you're going to take yourself out and fight. I, you know, I read one time years and years and years ago, and I don't know what the current numbers are, but if there were 900,000 firefighter injuries in the course of a year, 100,000 of them were hand injuries. Mm. How do you injure your hand on a fire ground? Usually burned or smashed, I would say. <laughs> burned or smashed or cut. Yeah. And what's the significant contributing factor? You didn't have your gloves on. If right. you had your gloves on, most of those injuries would have been prevented. Well, how does all that happen? We build training scores. We allow people to engage without their gloves on. We allow senior people to do that. They're modeling those behaviors that the less senior people are watching. And there you go. So I, I think that's a big issue. I mean, concentrate on the three R's like you talked about. I think those are excellent points. And make sure you're not building any training scores. I love it. And one of the quotes that has always impacted me from Chief Forest Reader is that training has to do one of four things. And if it can do all four things, even better. But great training must make us better, faster, smarter, and safer. So if we can do one of those four things with our training, we're going to be better the next time we show up to the next fire. So as we wrap up, would you mind mentioning some of the mistakes you have made and the lessons you have learned? that have come through your career? Oh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, so, so we have like five more hours to talk about. All my mistakes. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think, you know, for, for a long time, quite honestly, I was full of myself. I, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I, I, you know, as a young, I was fair. I was young, had an aggressive mindset. I went to a ton of training. Uh, you know, I was, I, I was really physically fit in my younger days and I was just full of myself. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple occasions where people had to put their hand in my chest and kind of push me back a little bit. So uh, that's a lesson that we can all learn. I think there's an element, you know, most of the successful firefighters are type A people and type A people tend to get themselves into that situation. So number one, you know, I, I was full of myself. Number two is I was a little too ambitious. And I think uh, in the earlier part of my career, I wanted to climb the ladder faster than I was ready. Mm. And I think that, I, I, I think if I had spent a little more time in each one of the ranks up to battalion chief, uh, I, I, I could have avoided some of the mistakes that I made. I think that I could have actually been better at my job if I just spent a little more time, if I accumulated the experiences, if I had more slides in my mental slide tray. And mm. the third thing is every once in a while, you got to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and that was never one of my strong points uh, you know I, i'm opinionated but sometimes i really should just take a deep breath and you don't have to always say everything right, right. i just learned that now, now i now i think that i do a pretty good job of it you know now when i actually say something there's a real reason behind it but when i was a younger person uh, there were many times it would have behooved me to keep my thoughts to myself. And, you know, I 
uh, you know, I, I, I took it on the chin. I mean, I, I certainly took it on the chin a couple of times. I, I, you know, I think, you know, lucky and by the grace of God, I survived some of my self-inflicted wounds to put myself where I am today. But mm. I, I, I think those three things are, you know, when I reflect, and, and I encourage everybody, always take a little bit of time and reflect, you know, look back, what were the mistakes that you made? How would you have done it differently? And when I reflect, those three things kind of jump out at me. Yeah, that reflection, that introspection that we all need, and that comes from, you know, having humility first and being able to say, hey, I know I'm not doing everything right. How can I grow? How can I get better? Um, and with your, I guess you could call it, you know, mistake number two, being too ambitious too soon. Um, you know, I think that can be um, perhaps a strength and it can be a, a weakness or a mistake as well. I would rather have someone who is too ambitious too soon, right, than someone who never, ever, ever pushes themselves who, you know, I'd rather have that instead of, uh, you know, the apathetic firefighter who just sits there and chooses to do nothing. So um, it, it can be a difficult, uh, let's say, tightrope to walk for all of us type A firefighters yep. in the fire service of, I want to push myself as hard as I can go. I want to achieve a lot. Um, I want to, if you want to become an officer, you know, I want to become an officer. Uh, but it, it's that tightrope of, you know, uh, kind of like you said with ego, you know, you're, you're a very confident person. And uh, you have to find that balance to where, okay, is this ego or is this confidence, right? Sure. Um, am I proceeding with a humble confidence or am I uh, having ego and I'm only thinking about myself and not others? So de definitely uh, things that uh, are good qualities that we just need to refine a little bit more when it comes to, you know, having that confidence and uh, as opposed to ego and also being too ambitious too soon. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, part of the journey uh, to success and, and part of the journey of being a successful firefighter is, is like exactly what you said, reflecting, having that introspection. And, and as long as we're willing to say, hey, I'm not doing everything right, but I could be doing it better. How could I improve on my weaknesses or mistakes? That's really what is important. So my, my last question for you, you know, I gave you a humbling question right there, but I, I want to give you a question to where you can celebrate the things that you've done right, or perhaps the milestones or accomplishments that you are proud of. So what would those be from your career? Wow. Uh, certainly uh, in my introduction, we talked, you know, you mentioned that I'm one of the founding members of the New Jersey Urban Search and Rescue Task Force. Uh, you know, that, that really, is one of the jewels in the crown. I'm very proud that I was part of the initial effort to get that up and running. Uh, I, I had actually retired before they achieved FEMA status, but they're one of the 25 FEMA task force now. And I like to say that I had something to do with that. So I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the organizations that I've worked in. Uh, you know, I think if we look at the Cherry Hill Fire Department, if we look at the Sunrise Beach Fire Protection District, certainly if we look at what's happening here in Pittsburgh, I would say that all those organizations have grown. Uh, they've become premier organizations. Uh, and I think when you say those names in those regions, people are familiar with them. And I would like to say that I had 
part of that. Now, I'm certainly not going to take credit for it all because this is a team environment. So if you don't have, you know, you can have a great leader, but, you know, they don't pick the right people. You don't have a team. You know, you've got a bunch of, you know, you you got a bunch of people wearing the same T-shirt. So I think I was part of the process that really kind of built a good team. And if I go back to Cherry Hill, uh, they, I, I was the project lead. We did not have a recruit fire academy. We just brought people on through an orientation program. And I really kind of championed the idea of having a true recruit academy. And uh, the, the chief threw some you know, resources on it, put me in charge of it. And after I retired, they had me come back for a ceremony. I didn't know this, but they redesignated the honor graduate award. They named it after me. And you know, oh, to, this, nice. to this very day, and it, well, it's numbered. And I'm actually 001 of the Dennis P. Riley Core Values Award. And they give this to the honor graduate at every academy. And I've been gone now for 20 years. And you know, there's people that have gotten that award that I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But I, I had the opportunity in that organization to contribute to the greater good, to contribute to something that has lasted long after I left, but I've been recognized for that contribution. And, and I'm very proud of that, you know, so I, you know, that goes toward the top of the list. And, you know, I will say that I try to live a rounded life. You know, I'm very proud of the marriage that I have and, you know, the, you know, the, the wife I've shared with my wife, I'm proud of the children that I've raised. And I think that raising children has helped me to become a better leader. I'm proud of my grandchildren. I see my family flourishing. So those are things that are very, very important to me. Exactly. Well, congratulations on all those accomplishments. Very, uh, a lot of things to be proud of. And, um, you know, what it really all boils down to and what I believe true success means is leaving that positive impact and leaving that positive legacy and adding value to the people around us and also our organizations. Um, So you definitely hit the nail on the head there. And lastly, I also want to say thank you for your service to our country. It's really important to me to recognize the service of our veterans and those who have protected our freedoms. So thank you very much, sir, uh, for your service. Well, thank you so much. Uh, You know, once again, sir, you know, my service in the military and my work, I I, I was privileged. I was, I, I was privileged to be part of something larger than I was. I I was privileged that in a time of need, the country was willing to place their trust in me to do a difficult job. So I'm just, you know, I'm just fortunate. I I think, you know, one one thing I was trying, you know, I was trying to figure out how to work this into the conversation and I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, as we move through our career and I've seen this happen all the time, and this is your self check. Do you want to be invited to your retirement party or do you want to be that person? They have the party two weeks after you left mm. when they're saying, thank God you're not here anymore. Right. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, and, and it, and as kind of funny and, you know, a little bit, you know, off color and sarcastic as that is, that's a good thing to think about mm-hmm. because if, if you've been around for any amount of time, you've seen those people, you've seen those people, you say, man, we're real, you know, the organization's really going to lose a great asset or boy, I'm so glad that person is gone. 
So all these questions that we talked about and, you know, he asked me for advice and how do you survive the grind and all this other type of stuff. Use that as your example. When you retire, which one are you going to be? Right. What legacy are you going to leave in the, in the minds and hearts of others? Well, Chief Dennis Riley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was an awesome conversation. Do me a big favor and let everyone know how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions and also if they want to have you out to teach one of your great classes. Oh, well, you know, well, thank you so much for that. Uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I use CHFD Harley. As as my uh, as my screen name is Cherry Hill Fire Department in Harley. I ride a motorcycle, so CHFD Harley. Uh, and you can also look me up uh, through the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, I am the fire chief here in the city of Pittsburgh, Kansas. Uh, we spell it without the H. Uh, the people in Pennsylvania just you know they didn't ask us. <laughs> they add an H to the end of it. It's not. Nah, it's, it's without the H. Uh, but that's, and, you know, that's an easy way to get hold of me. And, you know, hey, hey, you know, my Gmail address is chfdharley at Gmail. So perfect. Uh, I'm, I, I travel around a lot. I do speak. Uh, if if there are people out there who think that I have some value that I can bring into your organization, uh, I'm always, you know, humbled when people ask me to come out and speak. But, you know, I'm more I'm more than happy to do that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Chief. And to all those out there listening, stay fit, stay safe. And remember, when lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Go to firefightersuccessbook.com to learn more about the book, Firefighter Success, 20 C's to Firefighter Excellence. At the website, you can also download the free special report, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success.